0: Welcome to the Yams and Yuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of Black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Heather.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Kamara and we are your co-hosts. Welcome to our new listeners joining us today and a special thank you to those of you who are returning to the table with us. We have a fantastic guest coming to the yams and yuka table today, but before they join us at the table, we will go into our appetizer for a bite-sized conversation on today's topic. Let's see what's on the menu.
0: Okay, so today's topic um, for our appetizer will be the celebration and affirmation of Black women in the arts. What that means to us, the importance of it, um, how it contributes to the way we move within our creative industries. So to start us off, Kamara, I just want to ask, when have you felt most affirmed as a Black woman working in the dance sector?
1: You know, ask, having asked that question, I had to think about it for a little bit. And for me, I think it's really when I see the result of my work and when I kind of get affirmation is the word that you use, but kind of affirmation of the work that I do and that it's of being of value. So working with particular young black dancers, you know, on a day to day basis as a teacher, as a choreographer, it's quite a thankless role and we Mm don't do it for the thanks. But I do remember, especially our show, end of year show last year, and that came after, you know, we'd had the year and a half of lockdown and everything else that came with it. It It's just been such a challenging time. And I had a couple of parents come to me, one of them, you know, with tears in her eyes just because of what she saw what she saw on stage in their child, you know, and they were Mm -hmm. just really grateful to see the value and the impact that things like artistry, youth, dance have on the young people and see the confidence that it brings out in their children. You know, Mm -hmm. you can really see how them being in an environment where they're surrounded by other people who look like them and where they feel empowered, um, that they really grow and develop and, you know, you were there at the show, they really did shine on stage. And for Mm -hmm. some of the parents, that was uh, quite emotional. And I know, um, for some of them as well, they didn't really, I know, they probably don't understand why I go on so much, you know, about having specific hair, being, um, being quite disciplined with the rehearsals that you have to show up for every rehearsal. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're like, what is this? What is Kamara going on and why do we have to do all, <laughs> all of this? But I just remember after that show, you could see that they're like, I get it. I understand now. Right. And you've really done everything possible to to support my child. So, yeah, so when I get those kinds of thank yous and affirmations and really genuine um just gratefulness because, you know, we know it's not, it's not easy in this world, especially as a black woman and for our young people as, as black girls and black young women. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. So when the parents see the development, um, that's really something that affirms uh, myself as a black artist.
0: Wonderful. And I can agree, actually, I feel like some of my most, um, celebratory and affirming moments have been with Artistry youth and just seeing how the children develop. And especially when we go into spaces where, you know, AYD is the only Black company or one of few. I can remember like some of our performances at the place and the kids just came out and just showed out, you know, and they really stand out amongst the group. It's like all of that hard work mm-hmm. and just the celebration of them. Mm-hmm. and us as black artists that's where you know it really confirms the work that we do you know supporting those young dancers and i would say um even more a more recent experience for me um with Ayd was doing the documentary to have those ladies come in and really listen to us in such an extensive way and really listen to the young dancers talk to us, really want to di- like dive deep into why we work with them, why we do certain things um, and how it shows up in the work that's delivered by the students. I just felt like, wow, I've never really experienced that before. I felt like a lot of times when people are inquiring about what I do or what any Black artist does and they try to highlight it or showcase it, it still feels like exploitation. Mm -hmm. Whereas like that experience just really felt like a genuine appreciation of who Mm -hmm. we are, our cultures and how we work with the students. And yeah, I felt like that was really, really, really special, special experience
1: yeah definitely and and for our listeners, we had um two filmmakers come and film the youth dance company, and they were not black, and I remember speaking to them both at the beginning and talking about how to to do that. They were very aware of that coming in mm-hmm. as as white filmmakers and giving it the message that it deserves without that kind of exploit exploitative lens, which Mm -hmm. we've seen so many times in other types of documentaries and films and and things like that. So I really have to thank the filmmakers, Lucy and Lily, for, for doing such an exceptional job of showcasing everybody's thoughts and feelings and not making it about Oh, look at this black company, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing, Um, which is something that we also spoke about in the beginning as well. The focus wasn't about race or the color of anybody's skin, that it's about a group of young dancers thriving and being in an environment to develop and excel.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. You know, they didn't ignore our race. They still act, asked about those things that, are, you know, we encounter on a day to day basis. What mm-hmm. are some of the discrepancies or challenges that we face? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the focal point. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it was really it came down to like the joy and the love of the dance um, and working with the dancers and them just developing as artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you have moments where you are working on projects or in spaces where you do feel that like exploitation kind of trickling in,
1: mm-hmm. how do you navigate that? Uh, it's a challenge. Um, you have to make a choice whether you want to stay in that space or not. Yeah. And if you do stay in the space, um For me, I kind of have to think about what my greater purpose is for being in that space. There has to be something else. So, for example... This is like the most crude version, but are you there like just for the money or mm-hmm. you know, or what 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 reason are you there for? What else um can you benefit from this situation? And then I guess the older I get, I just try to be in spaces where I am valued. It's not always possible, but as you said, if I if it turns out that I feel that they don't really understand. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. They don't really understand because I, I do want to believe that most people have yeah. positive intentions at their deep down. I like to try to believe that, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that just some people just don't really get it right. They don't get it right. Yeah, um, but I'm not sure that that's their intention when they wake up in the morning. Um, yeah. So yes, yeah, so if I am in those situations and I have been in some recently, I've really had to take a deep breath and just remind myself of my own bigger purpose, what I'm in that space to do. And sometimes you're not there to change the world in a day because that's not really possible. Sometimes it's really about the long game. Yeah. And that you are making some kind of a difference, maybe not today, but it will show an impact in the future. So that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I manage it. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I think it is. I have to refocus myself. I'm not as uh, optimistic that people aren't doing it on purpose. (laughs) uh, So I think it is that changing your perspective of why you're in that position and what impact you can have in the long run. Mm -hmm. And sometimes maybe it is just about the money or maybe not even the money, maybe, I know for me, it's just been about my personal development, mm-hmm. you know, my career development. How how is this going to help me so that I can get to a level to open the gates, you know, to not be a gatekeeper mm-hmm. in a negative way, but to kind of really widen those gates a bit more so that people on the other side. Mm-hmm have a a better perspective and become more open. And again, that's not going to happen in a day Mm -hmm. or even a year or two years, but you know, it should just kind of be that little push to open the gates a bit more so that people can of color and um, people of just different walks of life and perspectives can have access to those resources and to the, just to those experiences that are kind of kept away and yeah. And then to widen perspectives, but you know, there's a threshold uh, sometimes, you know, I definitely have a threshold for how much I can exploitation I can take. And then, yeah. you know, then you have to walk away.
1: Yeah, definitely. You can't stay in every space and um, you can't, uh, for want of a better word, you can't fight every fight either. Exactly. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we have seen expressions like, you know, silence is complicit and things Mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, I think that is very different for every person. I think silence for some people in a position of privilege is probably um, complicit. Mm -hmm. But I think if you don't necessarily have that privilege, sometimes silence is is kind of self preservation exactly. and, and looking after your own mental health we we, we cannot fight every every fight and sometimes uh, in those situations, just to add to what 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 you've said and what was said earlier is you know you kind of have to think about Sometimes I go to that grass place of gratitude, and I think if I wasn't in a position of leadership, I wouldn't have these challenges, right? And have, be in a place where I have to have these challenging discussions and things that I personally find very challenging. So I'm thankful that I'm actually given these opportunities because only a person of a certain level of a leadership status is going to have to be able to manage those things. Mm. And every man, every leader has to be able to manage challenging situations. So, you know, it's hard, but I kind of think I'm grateful that I, I have these opportunities because it's only going to make, if I wasn't in a leadership position, I wouldn't even have to face these. So. Exactly.
0: And I think for me on the flip side of that is when I, because I am very particular about who I work with and when I have those opportunities where I'm part of a team that's fully Black woman led, which that happened to me recently, last October during the Connecting Communities Festival with Coma Arts, um, to have that position of leading a big project of that nature and it be so successful and to just put the doubt, you know, to kind of just Put the doubt out of people's minds and thinking that it wasn't going to work. And after all the challenges and things that and barriers that we were given purposely in some ways. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's always those challenges and hoops that you have to jump over. We still had a successful program in spite of that. And for me, that even more so affirms and celebrates, you know, Working as the black woman in the arts mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. and and those are also those opportunities where we again get to widen the gates so that people don't have such a discriminatory point of view about black women leading. One thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it for our discussion today. It's a nice mm-hmm. way to open up the conversation, and. Our guest is actually one of those women that helped me lead on that festival and can talk to us a bit more about celebrating Black women through the arts. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have our guest. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back. It's time to introduce our guest for today. We are joined by Burunji Kawoya. Before she comes to the table, I will share some information about her. Burundi is a collage artist and teacher inspired by nature, the beauty of black women, and the ingenuity of dance from the African diaspora using batik, paper, and paint. Her portraits celebrate black womanhood, elevating rest, joy and well-being. Nostalgia and family also inform her practice from memories of kitchen discos with her siblings and chiganda dances at weddings. She creates art she wants to see more of in the world, and therefore her primary theme is depicting black women, usually with flawless jet black skin. Burunji seeks to elevate black women so that they can see themselves as works of art and gain self-esteem. In 2020, she reflected on how black women are pivotal in leading social justice movements and decided to focus on compelling black women to protect their dreamscape with the Sisters Need Sleep collection. The collection celebrates Black women resting and taking care of themselves. By prioritizing self care, the figures and sisters need sleep, resist the forces of domination in themselves, and to contribute to a more equitable society for all. Burinji's art explores movement through paper silhouettes, illuminated by Ugandan batik textiles, which connects the dance pieces to her heritage. Endlessly inspired by dancers, Burinji aspires to translate the motion, skill, and soul of dance from the African diaspora to two-dimensional pieces. Dance styles include traditional Ugandan dancers, Afro-Brazilian Samba, and African-American Hipplet. Her work is often infused with a lush plant life, such as tropical flowers and matoke trees, which are common in Uganda and are referenced in the Josephine Baker collection. She leads mindful African art classes and creates space for well-being of school children, young people, artists and beginners to express themselves using vibrant African textiles. With a focus on promoting mental well-being, Burundi has a mission to create relaxing environments in which people can work through anxiety, stimulate their imagination and connect to vibrant African textile designs. Bringing has led online and in-person art workshops for Calma Arts, UAL, Black Mind, Sheffield Maternity Cooperative, and Peckham Platform. She has exhibited her work in many spaces, including presentations of Black Art at Hammersmith BID, Black in Full Colour, The Collective Makers, the first Black Art Collective exhibition in Greenwich, Freedom of Expression with the Black Women Art Network, Fun and Games at the Portico Library, What Does Black Art Mean to You at Hammersmith, Lyric Square, and Mediacom, Times, Ogilvy Rooted, Online Gallery,
2: and more. Wow! Welcome, Bernzy. Thank you so much for having me. Wow! I wrote that bio, and even I'm—that's <laughs> long. I'm. Thank you for giving me that chance to reflect.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you don't often hear, see all of your accolades laid out in front of you, so it's important to see them sometimes
2: and just acknowledge them. Well, thank you for inviting me, Kamara and Heather.
1: You're
0: absolutely welcome. And that description of sisters needs sleep. I am definitely in that space right now. I need a lot of rest. (laughs) It has been a interesting start to the year. So I'm just looking forward to hearing more about your work, your mission. Um, But before we do that, we're going to get to know a little bit more about you personally. So we start off with this question often with our guests, um,
2: and that is, where is home? Home right now is Greenwich. I've lived here for about four and a half years and I've always wanted to live here actually. I grew up in Bromley um, which is a neighbouring borough so my mum lives and some of my family, my siblings but I'd also want home to be in Tebe which is in Uganda which is where my mum has built her home. I want that to be home. I want to also call Salvador in Brazil that I visited twice home because I felt very at peace and connected there and I also want to call New Orleans home because I visited it once and oh my goodness like the artist district and the music and the dance yeah, I want to call many places home.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, and I and I resonate with that connection to that that feeling of peace. And when you visit a space, that really is just calling your spirit to be part of your home collective. So, with that in mind, what is some of your favorite food from home? Be that your current home or your wishful home in Uganda and other places.
2: Yeah. Oh gosh, you know what first comes to mind. And this isn't even my favorite, but from New Orleans, we had these amazing grilled oysters, and you wouldn't think adding tomato and cheese to a seafood would work, but it was so so good. But I would say my favorite foods from home, um, from Uganda, when I think of home, I think of like my uncle making me posho, which is um, a maize meal um so it, the ground maize flowers um you know you add water and then you make this kind of solid white mass and you know it's kind of bland but it's beautiful in its own way mm. and goes really well with like a really lovely meat gravy and it's something my mum doesn't try to do and she says you know uncle chisito could do it so much better than me and last time we went he made it for me for us I Mm. thought he made it for me. (laughs) Um, Like things like chapati, which is, I'd say, more of an East African Indian influence. Like flatbread, Mm -hmm. it's kind of more like greasy and like carby than the Indian roti. Um, It's so good with, you know, like roast pork or roast chicken. So yeah, a big Ugandan plate. But also afterwards it's the fruit you know we're not really much into desserts we've got things like mandazi which is a fried donut which is really lovely my cousin Fiola makes them really well and sister Nambia can't leave her up um but the fruit you get in Uganda is incredible like jackfruit mm-hmm. and mangoes and there's so many guavas so yeah It's, there's a lot of food I I miss.
0: Mm, That sounds so beautiful. I want some right now. And um, definitely know about chapatis because our previous guest, Nick McCoy, just went on and on about them. And then I finally, (laughs) (laughs) I finally taste one when I spent some time with Mercy's family in their Ugandan as well. And they were, um, they had me over and I just couldn't get enough of the chapatis. They're so good.
2: They're just they so, so good, good. so <laughs> naughty. Like you want to, you, you know, you're given a half, maybe. Sometimes you're given a quarter. A you're quarter. like, "I want the whole thing." Yeah, yeah. give me the whole thing.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, they're delightful. Okay, and do you have any special? I mean, you talked about your uncle cooking for you when you last went home, but do you have any other special memories with Ugandan food? Um,
2: that's interesting. I'm trying to make memories because I'm trying to learn how to cook mm. very slowly, and my my family will laugh at me because it's it's it takes time to learn these things. Um, but I think I a key memory from I haven't visited more in the past is just you know there's a lot of street food that's amazing, and maybe you know not everything is perfectly sanitary but I was always fine you know roast chicken roast pork cooked on the street side tastes amazing Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's just something about you know the smells and the food and it feels organic and great and healthy and Yeah. yeah yeah it being cooked on the on the street gives it its extra
0: zing it's extra I think zest. so. it's <laughs> yeah. that
2: immediacy and obviously you're not, you're not having to cook it yourself so uh, that part yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: street food is is good and you know whatever comes with it extra it just adds to the flavor i think i say <laughs> so you know um i'm i'm all for that and especially when you go to other countries they just have their way don't they of doing things hmm. um So it would be wonderful uh, to know about when you're growing up as well, if you had a significant memory growing up that shaped who you are today.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of my significant memories um, are around being with my family and dancing and there being music and good times. And that's not to say every day was a party. It really wasn't. But obviously the things that stand out were those... Um, a really amazing times, so all brought together to celebrate. So, um, just you know, on a weekly basis, my older sisters, you know, would bring out their tapes, and we'd have these fun kitchen dance parties. And we had a linoleum linoleum floor. I guess that helped when you're doing things like the shuffle and the running man and other dance moves that they could do so effortlessly. And I was like, oh wow, I wish I had that coordination. <laughs> Um, I definitely look up to my sisters um, in terms of like their dance. And that definitely has fed its way into my work, which is why I do a lot of dance art. Um, but just going back to memories, like my, my parents or my godmother, my godmother in particular, Auntie Juliet, um, she was involved in like, the Ugandan dance scene here. She had a dance troupe. I don't think I knew that, but... They had their families always had really cool parties and um, would have dancers and she would dance and, you know, everyone would tie a cardigan or actually get a grass skirt or some material around their waists and do the Chiganda dances. And that was just so thrilling to see and to be part of. Yeah, it's just really important. Actually, one of my major like memories that I will never forget and... Why would I? Um, remember when Remember the Time came out? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Obviously that epic, epic video. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was around Easter time that I went to stay with my auntie Juliet, um, my older sister remember, and I traveled to spend Easter with her. And for those two weeks, Marimba and our cousins like learnt the dance moves I was <laughs> not coordinated enough to um, commit any more than a couple of steps to memory but I remember like the concentration the dedication obviously just really enjoying watching the video that really stuck in my head and um, yeah as we all know it's just one of the most incredible videos of all time these videos mm-hmm. of all time mm-hmm. um, yeah so that does explain why I'm I 'm a dance
1: artist but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not surprised, especially if you were spending two weeks um, reliving out michael jackson 's moves because um, that that video
2: definitely has some
1: very epic choreography in it.
2: It really does, and now i 'm just thinking I, I do a lot of silhouette work and you know, side profiles, and with the Egyptian style they incorporated mm-hmm. into the hip hop and pop moves, you can see that in my work and. Yeah, just so important. That was that was really fun. Mm, it sounds like amazing
1: times with your family there, especially having the chance to kind of um, do the cultural movements as well, the cultural dances with the grass skirts that you mentioned around your hips so that you get that feeling, so that you know where you're moving in your body. Oh uh, yeah, Ooh, I feel like I was
2: there. I'm sure I didn't understand how to do anything back then, but. It's the memories, you know, I watched it all. So I'm a visual artist, mm-hmm. I'm not a dance artist, like your incredible guests are, um, you know, I really enjoyed listening to the interviews that you've had and I'm just like, flawlessly, I'm just inspired by all their stories, so...
1: Oh, well, I know that we'll be inspired, our listeners are going to be equally inspired by hearing your uh, recounts of your uh, memories, so thank you for sharing that. You know, you've spoken about that dance culture um, and the dance dances that your family exposed you to, as well as you spending time in Uganda, so how does your cultural heritage impact your artistic work and choices?
2: Very much so. Um, I've been making collages for about eight or nine years. And it was only a couple of years ago, I realized um, a lot of like the style of collage I'm doing is quite similar to a lot of the work that my parents have bought in Uganda. So there's lots of um, collages that they have that incorporate banana leaves and wood cuttings. And it's very... Like silhouettie, abstract, very like precise, neat. I use a I scalpel in my work, and I cut with the paper. And it's I didn't realize that's kind of what I took in to realize my own artistic expression. So that was really um, cool to to realize and give credit to that um, art form as well. Um, I would say, and actually. Recently learning more about Uganda Dance through my work with the Portico Library, who commissioned me to, to produce. I'd say I commissioned it, and um, Mercy and Amina Namakula um like really produced the film, but I got to learn about Kiganda Dance. And through that, being here in the UK, away from um, incredible dance teachers I got to experience that and actually learn for the first time what it's like to to move my hips and knees in that way and and why understand the quite like, what the meaning of those dances are and um, it really culminated in this incredible workshop that I, um, I produced with Heather and Mercy of Karma Arts and Jess and um, where we got to Showcase this film so people got to witness the incredible professionals um, dance Uganda, and then um, Judith Palmer, MBE, and Mercy being on the drums. They led an incredible dance class, so complete novices and like the Uganda community got to dance again with live drummers. And then at the end, um, I led an art class where I shared images from the film, and then. I invited people to draw or to collage with those dancers. So they got to like really inhabit and um, express themselves through all these different mediums. And that was an incredible experience for me. It really brought me, like it really lifted like my mood and expression and connection to myself. When I started working on... um the festival that Mercy, uh, Heather and I were working on, Connecting Communities, I was was in a very different place mentally. I think most people by now can, you know, have experienced low moods, depression, anxiety through the pandemic, just through life. There doesn't really need to be a reason. Um, But being able to connect with myself, the music, the drums and working community... Has been absolutely transformative. So I'm so happy that my culture, my heritage, helped me come back to myself. Because um, I'm here in London, and you know, I'm far away from how perhaps I should have been growing up. But um, I have the tools and the access, and I have the community to 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 heal and to to be. So that feels really important.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's so, so great that you were able to have that kind of connection between all the elements of art, because maybe there's no separation, really, the Mm. dance with the visual art, with the community, you know, always has to happen in some, some way. So that was brilliant that you had that space to be able to see that, see that play out.
0: Yeah. And also you're talking about, you know, this community and, um, you know, the people that you've mentioned that you've worked with are Black women who are working within the arts. But not even that, you know, you speak of your relationship with your mother and and that connection and your sisters and cousins and people who kind of embedded you into your, your heritage and your culture. And then when you look at your art and obviously, you know, when we read your bio, like Black women are at the center, you know, of how you how you integrate those different elements of dance and visual art. So what inspired you to do that?
2: All Black women are amazing. We're just incredible. Mm. And, you know, I just want to showcase Black women and give them the visibility that they deserve. Because I think when we are celebrated, more often than not, it's about, because we are in service to others and there's nothing wrong with recognizing your mother, my mother for working six nights a week Mm. to, to take care of us. You know, I, this, I celebrate her for that, but also I, I'm child free. And I think there's something about recognizing yourself when you're not performing for others, when you're not employed by a certain prestigious brand when you're not being of it's, it's hard to say it but I think I just want to have help black women affirm themselves mm. just for being themselves mm. not for what they do not for their production not for their exploitation mm. which is the society we live in you know it's all too easy for us to get burnt out. And, um, you talked about recognizing sisters need sleep for yourself, you mm-hmm. know you're working hard, you're a mother, and it's t- it's it's tough, it's tough and um that series I'm working on um I'm really excited about it because it came to me in a time when I was quite low, and I was thinking, you know, what is it that I can do?" through my work that might compel women to take care of themselves better um I think what predates that was you know the global reckoning with race and um like what we need to be doing better as like to be treating women better in all kinds of you know sensibilities um like many others, I took to sharing, you know, really interesting texts and um, statements on social media saying, this is wrong. We should be treating the planet better. We should be treating black men better. We should be treating disabled people better. We should be treating queer people better. Absolutely. All of that. But then when I took some time and stepped away from, I guess, the mic, I realized I need to be talking to myself. Mm. I need to go inwards. I need to actually unpack and understand what that means for for me before I try to change someone else's mind. And I've come to that place where I realize I don't need to give people instruction. I don't need to, I'm, I'm less concerned about what other people do. I'm more concerned about how I feel and where I'm coming from. And do I have integrity in myself? Am I, am I growing in my feminism? Am I dismantling like the capitalist kind of work hard grind hard until you collapse and mm. you know am I actually doing all those things that I want other people to do so that's how I started sisters need sleep just to slow down pause and reflect and um, that's been really great for me because I've realized what I need to to do more of is is meditate. And that's really helped. That's really helped me to connect to myself Mm. and hopefully be a better person to myself. Mm -hmm. I've got, um, I've had like a bit of a tricky history with employers. Um, I've had a couple of situations, managers that have bullied me and that have been really um, kind of detrimental to my self-esteem. And the more you read up about this, you know, black women are really, the more I talk to just friends and family, they'll say, yep, yeah, that happened to me. They bullied me. They worked me out of a job. It really affected my my health and my self-esteem and my mental well-being. And a lot of women keep quiet about these things. Mm-hmm. And we're just supposed to kind of like muddle through life and I think what I'm realizing is that I need to prioritize and create the environments that support me to be well mm. and um, that's been happening actually I'm really excited because yeah. I've been black women have been reaching out to me and saying let's work together let's create let's create space for black women black people everybody to feel good and um, that is possible. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that was possible a couple of years ago, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And that kind of transitions nicely into our next question is like, you know, you've exhibited in so many spaces and like you said, you purposely seek those spaces that sell, that value your artistic expression as a black woman and your culture. So when have you felt most celebrated in those experiences?
2: you said it it's when i'm working with black women that see me and want to also do good for for black women the thing is when we create spaces for all black women to thrive and that is queer that is you know homeless that is sexually abused that is poor women that is disabled that's the whole world, you know, so if mm. we prioritize the experiences of black women, it's just a better place. So the first workshop I did last year, um, I was approached by Black Mind and they're two beautiful queer um, femmes, women. And um, we held an online workshop together and it was just the most I was so f- afraid of doing this. It was something I definitely wanted to pivot to as soon as the pandemic started, because obviously we're supposed to just shift into moving into this new way of work so quickly. I was p- petrified about how to do this, but they saw me, they introduced themselves. They said, Brindy, could you do this? We'll pay you. I'm like, okay, I guess the time is now. <laughs> and it was so beautiful and they held me so well and... Just the feedback I got um, was incredible, and the conversations we were able to have just by making art together online mm. so rich, and that fuels me. Like, so yeah, people that just get the work I'm doing, um, they're coming to me, and I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great space that you are able to be in and share your passion with things that are. As well as things that are important to you, um, and that that being mental health and f- having spaces to to include that in your artwork. So, as you are an advocate for mental health and use it as part of your art and dance, how else do you incorporate it into your creative work?
2: It's hard to say to separate. <laughs> I I just had a flashback. I remember being told in in an old workplace your language is very, you know, very effusive. You're just very, like, you're just too, like basically we're just saying you're just too much. I'm like, oh, soz, <laughs> that's who I am. And um, so just going back, basically the places where I can be myself are um, are great for my, my mental well-being. Um, I'm attracting people that want to you know, be quiet and like make some art, and that's lovely, and that's a very peaceful. I create that peaceful space for them, um, but also equally, we sometimes talk about anxiety because when I invite people to draw freestyle, they'll say, "Oh, I haven't done this in like twenty years. I haven't been to an art class." And I kind of coach them and say, "You know, I always have this kind of freak out when I'm starting something new. I'm no different from you. I've just been doing this for a bit longer, and I'm actually." still having the same conversations and anxieties and worries that you you're having. But um I just let them know that, you know, by going through the process, working through it, taking a small step at a time, helping I can help them break it down for them and help them express what their vision can be, um, what they want it to be. And together we work and they come out feeling so good. And it's just a really beautiful space of co-creation um sometimes I struggle with calling myself a teacher more I think I'm more of a guide because I'm not here to kind of replicate my my artistic practice with anyone I'm not didactic I want people to be true to themselves Um, and I think that's an incredible um, space for your well-being I'm creating that kind of support that I need and I think others also appreciate. Um, So it's hard to separate it. It's just I'm I'm a big, I'm very heart-focused, heartfelt, just big gushy bag of feelings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it definitely sounds like you're an effective teacher to me because that's what a true teacher does. It guides people to find their own um, development and, and to be able to have the tools to share their own voice. So sounds like you're, you're, you're doing that and you're creating a place of safety, which is very important. Um, and it must also be really interesting to see their own journeys, even in that short space of a time within one class, you know? Yeah.
2: It's a real privilege. It's a real privilege.
1: Yeah. So you should, you should be really proud of, of how you're, how you're supporting others to, to find their voice. It is great stuff what you're doing. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, thank you, Brunji, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, because I know when you think about those things that it's really, it is from the heart and you can see how how important this is for you and that your artwork is really coming from a place of um, peace, as you've said, mm-hmm. um, which can only happen if you've You've created the spaces, but you've put yourself in, in situations where you can thrive and that your students or whoever comes to you can thrive as well. So that's really quite amazing.
2: I just want people to be self-expressed. Mm-hmm. I think as many outlets as there are for expression, you know, social media, blogs, I think people still, still struggle with authenticity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just I just love that people can show up to my you know my workspace and be vulnerable and say you know this is something I want to do but I don't know quite how to do it that's brave it's lovely that they Mm. want to grow and we can do that together Yeah, and I can see you're being vulnerable now as well and that you're
1: getting emotional about it. So, I, you know, I really appreciate you opening up and sharing sharing that with us.
2: Yeah, I'm just like, I'm just so honoured to like be asked about my experiences because I think people like come to me and say like, oh, you're really brave, you're doing this, you're doing that. I'm like, I've been forced out of workplaces because... I'm Mm
1: -hmm. not enough yeah well you need to know that you absolutely are enough and I think that's something that draws people to you because they feel that they can be comfortable and express themselves and be vulnerable as you've said so I know that can't have happened um I know that kind of happened overnight for you to kind of reach that place where you can be vulnerable and support others. So how has, how has your artistic journey evolved over time? How have you reached this place?
2: Hmm. I think I've had to be like snapped out of the treadmill. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think No, I'm happy to talk about this but last year, I didn't realize I was um, I was quite depressed. Yeah, I didn't know, and I've been depressed before, so it wasn't. It shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was. And um, I worked really hard to try and do all my work and do like this big website project I did all that I took the minimum amount of sick leave because I was convinced that I could just keep working through it and be get well on the job Mm. um obviously they decided they didn't want to work with me and that helped to snap me out of this kind of spell that they had which was you had to be in this full-time work and you know thrive somehow like it just wasn't working but I didn't realize it wasn't working so I had to take that and be I had to be I I actually have to be grateful because I think the reason why I'm quite still quite emotional is that I didn't realize that I wasn't taking care of myself and that wasn't good for me you know. And now I can, you know, the timing of me being fired from that job was absolutely perfect because a week later, Mercy, who I've been in touch with for years and was, you know, saw a couple of months ago um, in 2021, said, there's this project they I've been working on for a couple of years. as now been greenlit and we need to start working on it. Can you help? Are you free? Like, mm. Mercy, I've just been fired. I'd absolutely love to work with you on a dance festival in Greenwich. Like how perfect mm. was that timing? Yeah. It couldn't have happened any better. Yeah. And what's so like incredible on your
0: part is like the way that you worked on the project, you're so open and ready and I had no idea that you had that that was your circumstance coming into the space. And I think that's really clear, like how heartfelt you are in your work. And it shows, you know, even you coming into a space where you felt like, oh, I'm not qualified or I've never done this before. I said that a lot. Yeah. And I was just <laughs> like, but you're here for a reason. You obviously are, this is the job for you and you did incredibly well. And it it the, the, the way that you care about the work in yourself was just right for that space, you know? And maybe, I don't even know what you were doing previously, but how open and caring and what they would call too much in those other spaces was exactly what we needed, working with people in community, coming in to share their experiences and their cultures and what they love the most. So that divine timing, like it was, that was really what was meant to happen for you.
2: It really was. And I believe that, um. Yeah. So grateful. So grateful. <laughs> oh, the best summer ever. That's so
0: beautiful. It's so so beautiful. And um, just shifting again to back to your work, but still always align with sort of who you are as a person. You know, the work that you do. You even when you sell your your artwork, you give a percentage of that to an organization called Sister Space. So, can you tell us one about you know a little bit more about that? That organization and why it's so important to you.
2: First of all, um, in 2020, I first launched um, like my t-shirt line, my first t-shirt line, and all the sales from that went to a variety of charities supporting Black people. Mm. So all kinds of groups like Pride Group, Black Pride um, groups, supporting families who'd um, who'd lost lost family members due to like police violence, you know, held in like state, like psychiatric care, Mm. that kind of thing. Um, Charities supporting black children. Um, It was a real variety of charities I was supporting. And then I thought I wanted for the next year, 2021, I just wanted to focus on Sister Space, Mm -hmm. which is London's um, only, and maybe even the UK's like, Leading um, organizations supporting women of African heritage who have experienced um, violence—I'm not going to call it domestic violence—as if that's a certain allowed category. Mm. Um, because the care that they give to women of African heritage is is tailored for them and it understands who they are and where they're coming from, and that's not the the service that. Women of African heritage receive from the NHS, from police, or from you know, um, you know sh- other shelters. I I came across them and thought, wow, if I'm ever in that situation, or any other woman I know who's in that situation, it's incredibly sad that they have to exist. But knowing that they they are there and ready to support women of African heritage is so important to me. And, um, yeah, it just goes to that care that I want to give to all women of African heritage or black women um so yeah that's that's why I support sister space
0: mm, that's incredibly beautiful, and it's like really clear, like obviously you're advocating for just people to be treated as humans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that
0: would be nice, <laughs> <laughs> and to be treated with the care that they deserve. And there's a, a bit of um, there's a bit of activism, obviously, um, and advocacy in your work, and who you choose to work with, and how you do things, and even just in working with you on connecting communities. You were advocating for the artists and the people that we were working with in their families and communities, coming into a space that didn't necessarily want them to be there. Um, so, what advice would you give to artists? who hope to embed that type of activism or advocacy within their creative practice?
2: That's a really good question. I think just start where you are, um, choose what's important to you and see what you can do. I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed with all of the, the ways that the world fails us, all the different structures that seem to be pitted against us. It can be overwhelming. But I think if you just look inwards and think about the power that you have, the influence that you have and work from there, you know, you might be able to to volunteer at a school that has a popul- high population of a certain community that you want to help. Um, that's something you could do. That's actually one of the first things I started doing when um, a few years ago when I was you know, looking for a job. And I thought, well, I have all these materials and skills. I'd love to to help some black children dream about their futures. That's activism, but it doesn't, it's not, you know, holding up a placard and campaigning at Westminster. Mm. And that absolutely needs to happen. But that is what I felt I could do. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, it's interesting that you say that my work is, has that activism angle I think it does but I'm I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do Mm -hmm. I'm just showing how I see the world and how I would like black women or black women to be to be held and treated and supported it's unfortunate that asking for our human rights is somehow political Mm. but that tells you the framework that we're living in that's not of my making and um I'm doing the best to undo that in myself, which is why I'm never going to run out of subject matter. And that's why black joy is so important to me as well. And that's what I get in dance. I know dance isn't just about beauty, not just about beauty and happiness. You know, there's so many stories that is told so eloquently in, in dance, Um, a lot of struggle as well. But I think it's the, ability to overcome that's what i get and when i see um dancers of all kinds of shades doing any kind of dance connected to the african diaspora i see that persistence and perseverance and that dedication to excellence and i think wow after everything the world has thrown at you look at what you're doing it makes me so happy Mm. (laughs) And that's that's really important um, to balance out what we have to deal with.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you know, even though it's not your perhaps not your intention to show activism or any of those messages in your art, that that still comes across, and and we can see what's important for you and through through the work that you do. So so thank you once again. Um, and just thank you for sharing with us. It's been a wonderful conversation and we're just about to round it up now. But before we do, there is a surprise question we like to ask all of our guests. But as you are an avid listener of the Yems and Ukip podcast yourself, um, you probably know what it is. I do. We, we want to know more about food because... That's what we like here at Yams, and you mean, me Heather. I'm still thinking about the street food that you were talking about and the chapatis,
2: to be honest. And the Rolexes. I didn't even mention that, but... What was that? Roll, Rolex. Basically, um, the Ugandans have made this kind of street food chapati meal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's chapati, but with, like, eggs and, like, tomatoes, whatever kind of toppings you want, and then it's rolled up. So basically Mm -hmm. it's rolled eggs, but with the Ugandan accent, it sounds like Rolex, Rolex. Oh, right. And it's like in the Guinness World Book of Records. It's like, it's a a thing that identifies Ugandan (laughs) chapati.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. I really want (laughs) one. I personally won't be having that one because I'm not a fan of eggs, Um, but I'm sure for the rest of you, that the Rolex you will enjoy and I will I will be there with you for the enjoyment purposes. <laughs> but alongside that, we have to know what you prefer, yams or yuca and how do you like them cooked?
2: It's got to be yams. Mm-hmm. It's got to be yams. And the yams I remember eating and enjoying were more, I think they were boiled. Mm-hmm. And they're just, you know, quite earthy, but also a bit of a, of a sweetness with it. But then, you know, it's with gravy. I don't know if you've ever seen a Ugandan plate. Heaven knows, I there's do. like fifteen different starches on there. Yes, <laughs> 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 and then there'll be gravy and peanut sauce or a lot of things on top. It's a lot going on, so you don't need to do much to the yams because it's paired with something. Yeah, something else.
0: Yeah, so that kind of goes to our next question. Like, what's the perfect meal? Like, tell us about this Ugandan plate. I mean, yes, it's a lot of starches, but all the flavors somehow just, you know, match up nicely. So for our listeners who don't know, tell us that perfect meal.
2: That perfect meal. I mean, first of all, you need to be hungry. So you need to prepare. <laughs> I mean, with an empty stomach. Um, For me, that perfect plate would have, (laughs) I can't believe I'd say a whole chapati. Yes, I'm going to say a whole chapati because I'm coming hungry. Um, I want some um, beef stew. Mm -hmm. I also want some roast pork. I want some um, kawunga posho, the maize I talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. So I eat peanut, the peanut sauce without the m- matoke. So I actually, matoke is our green banana, mm. which we love and we steam. But I say we because I don't, I don't really enjoy it. I don't need it when I've got all the other starches around. Um, but I will have the peanut sauce and um, I will also have mackerel in it. Or actually, if I'm in Uganda, it's going to be like a dried smoked fish that I can't remember the name of.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe one of our listeners will.
2: Oh, mercy will kick me. Um, <laughs> what else? Plantain, obviously. Is this a plate or a tray? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's lunchtime, so I think we're all a bit
2: hungry. Keep adding. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just embarrassing. Um, I'm excited, though, because um, I'm going to the Ugandan restaurant Um Next week, my sister graduated from her nursing degree, which is incredible. And um, we're going to a Ugandan restaurant. We're going to eat nice. and then we're going to party. So we're creating new memories next week.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Brunji, for sharing all of your experiences, your vulnerable moments and just opening your heart to us and our listeners. And I'm sure they will feel the warmth and the care in this conversation. I really certainly have. Um, before we let you go, can you please let our listeners know what you're working on now and how they can learn about you, where they can get some of your
2: art or maybe engage in a workshop? Oh, thanks for the opportunity to promote myself. There's a lot going on this year. Mm. Um, One of the big things I'll be doing is, oh, I can't quite talk about it, but basically I'm going to be doing something outdoors. So it'll be the biggest thing I've ever done. It'll be collaboration, which I'm really excited about because building on that theme of community, Mm. I'm really excited to collaborate with artists and, um, yeah, I can't quite say, but that's happening. And when it happens, I will tell you and we will take photos and we will stunt and it'll be amazing. We'll shout it about it. be celebrating all black women. Um, I'm really excited to be working with Descendants. It's a, a charity, youth charity in West London, um, that focuses on empowering young Black and Asian children um, through, you know, connecting with their culture. So I'm really excited to be doing workshops with them. Mm. I'm just, I can just, my cheeks are going to hurt because when I work with kids, they just make me smile so much. (laughs) So I'm really excited about that. And um, I am, I will be developing a series of dance and art workshops because like we did I just need to work more with dancers and create that space where I'm not sure who it will be aimed at but I I feel like I'd want it to be aimed for specifically for all black women mm-hmm. um I just would love us to be able to move mindfully and then also create artwork that speaks to them so yeah some more workshops in the future
0: Excellent. Thank you. Well, we will link Brungie's, um social media handle so you can follow her and make sure you keep up with sh- when she makes those announcements about those big events happening, the big event happening outside and the workshops coming up. Thank you so much, Burunji. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much, Heather and Kamara for sharing this space and yeah, allowing me to be me.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we're really looking forward to everything that you have coming up, including that top secret event. Um, And I think we definitely have to say thank you to whoever fired you because, you know, you need to be in this space of creating your own work and doing what you have been called to do. So um, I'm just putting the gratitude out there for you oh i love it more gratitude (laughs) yes thank you (laughs) um but it was such a pleasure to have spoken to you and uh had you on the yams and yuka podcast today
2: Mm -hmm. thank you so much
1: so we're going to take a break now to digest everything burundi has just shared with us and when we come back it will be time for dessert we'll be right back
0: We are back and it's time for our sweet and savory desserts. We're going to recap those moments in the conversation that gave us a sweet sugar rush and the others that are more rich stick to the stomach and a bit more fulfilling. So for me, my sweet moment was um, when she was talking about learning Ugandan recipes with her family and being made fun of because she didn't quite get it right. And it taking time for her to really learn those. And, um, it just kind of warmed my heart because I'm just, I was thinking about sort of how I'm teaching Avery some of my recipes, like one of her favorites to make with me is mac and cheese. Um, And so now she knows the ingredients. She, you know, she's part of the whole experience. And it's sort of like that passing on of, my American traditions to her is just really warm my heart. And I know that she's going to learn some of her Ghanaian traditions as well from her dad and her, um, her grandmother and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that was my, my sweet moment. What about you, Kamara?
1: Mm, That's a nice one. Yeah. My sweet moment was also linked to food. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, it was when she was talking about eating street foods and how she eats it and she doesn't necessarily know what's in it Mm. uh but that's kind of part of the part of the enjoyment and you know we do that when we go to different countries and different places we we eat the street food and you just got to trust the process you don't need to know what it is but yeah (laughs) just go with the flow and it's part of the experience so that was definitely my sweet moment
0: yeah and what about your savory moment
1: um, my savoury moment was when she was talking about leading students in the space in an in, in arts art workshop mm. and how it kind of made her quite emotional just thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, so that was my savoury moment because you could really tell how much it meant to Meant to Burunji and also to the students, you know, that experience, having that opportunity to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So, really, the emotion behind it was what made it a savory moment for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like just in general, like our conversation with her felt like one of those moments we talked about in our anniversary episode where I just felt privileged and humbled to like for her to feel safe to be vulnerable with us Mm -hmm. in the conversation. Yeah. So overall, yeah, you just feel her passion and connection Mm -hmm. to what she does and the people that she works with, um, especially the young children. So that was, that was very savory for me as well. And even more specifically, just how she talked about her purpose of her work was to affirm black Mm -hmm. women to, to just be, instead of defining themselves by what they do or produce or how they're exploited. And I mean, that just resonated with me greatly because I do feel that at times where I'm just, I'm only appreciated for what I can do and produce as as an artist or a creative. And, you know, you get tired. You just want to rest. You just want to mm-hmm. be a person, you know, mm-hmm. not just this, not someone who just comes in and, and gives, 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 gives. And it's only defined by how pro- productive, I use air quotes, you can be.
1: Mm hmm. Mhm yeah definitely and that's something that I guess we're constantly trying to navigate ourselves of how we how we manage that and how we how we deliver our work on a day-to-day basis and how we show up every day.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah so on I think that's kind of a good point to reflect on and to leave our listeners with yes to think about um how we affirm ourselves and and what what we are doing on a daily basis to to make sure we're bringing out authentic selves to the to the place to the party mm-hmm. i'll say and I, I think that will be it for today heather yeah uh so i have to thank you all for listening please let us know what your sweet and savory moments are using the hashtag yams and yuca. That's right. Don't forget to tag us at Yams
0: and Yuca on Twitter and Yams and Yuca podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at yamsandyuccapodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is yamsandyuccapodcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes, as always, we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation. Let's keep the discussion going. Feel free to share your stories as well to add to our yams and Yuca tapestry and we will chat with you guys again next time.
0: Bye. Bye.